substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen are not made of things which are visible. Good morning. It is a wonderful thing to think that the God who has no mother or father, nor refers to himself as the mother God, but the father God, says to honor your mother and your father. It's a day we set aside to do that, and we honor mothers here. We respect mothers. We love mothers. All of us have had a mother. There is a gift that you can give to your mother that I believe is the greatest thing that you can give her. Now, you might be thinking, well, my mother has departed from this life. So has mine. I still seek to give her this gift in honor of her. The gift we'll talk about today is your faithfulness. Faithfulness. Never was a mother or father ashamed of a child that they could call faithful. Faithful to God. Faithful to them. Uh, true to themselves. Faithful to friends. Faithful to siblings. If someone can be described as faithful, they're honoring their mother and their father. And we're going to talk today about faithfulness. Not single acts of faith. Not great acts of faith. A life of faith. Faithfulness. Being full of it. Continual. This idea today, I want to capture it. It comes to mind as I was reading through the readings and reading through the Judges, and also the, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, that great faith chapter, the faith hall of fame, or we say the hall of faith. I was reading that, and I've, I've reapproached that, because in that book and in that chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, are listed Noah and Abraham and Sarah, his wife, and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and David. Amongst others, four of the judges are listed by name. Five if you count Samuel. But there's, there's four together listed that stood out to me because of what I've been reading this week. And... It's caused me to revisit this chapter on the idea of what God is trying to bring out in chapter 11 of Hebrews about faith. For example, turn with me there, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11, if you're not already there. And pick up in verse 32 where the writer says, And what more shall I say? 
For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah. There are four judges that you have read about this week, if you're keeping up with those daily readings, and you still will be reading about the exploits of Samson tomorrow morning. Also, he says, of David and Samuel, time would fail me to tell of all of the things of, of all these people in this chapter, including these four, who through faith subdued kingdoms. Yes, some of these judges did that, didn't they? They worked righteousness. Some of these judges did that. Obtained promises. They, they did that. Stopped the mouths of lions. You might think right away, well, that's Daniel. He's talking about there, and it can be Daniel in that lion's den. Or it could be when a young lion came roaring upon Samson and he tore him apart with his bare hands. He stopped the mouth of a lion. That could be referring directly to Samson there too, as well as to David. Quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. I think a Gideon there became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. How about Gideon's 300 men defeating the 30,000 Midianites? Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. Isn't that interesting that tempted is right in between sawn in two and beheadings? To a righteous person being tempted... To deny your God is a suffering. This same book in Hebrews chapter 2 says that Jesus suffered being tempted. It is a suffering. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. Not fine linens, most of them. Definitely not the Lord. Being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves. Even Samson hid himself for a time in a cave. The mighty Samson. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, that is, of eternal life. God having prepared something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Not to go into this, but that is a reference that God will on the judgment day when Christ returns, not only bring us home, but all those who have died before us who are in paradise, as the Bible teaches. In particular, the New Testament and our Lord teaches of this place of rest, this place of goodness, but not in the heavens, not in heaven with God. But these have obtained a good testimony through their faith. Now, when you pick up your Bible, perhaps tomorrow morning you will, will want to read and continue on in your daily readings. You'll come to Judges chapter 16, verse 1, and you'll read about one of these great men of faith. And you know what you'll read in verse 1? You'll read how Samson went down to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. 
And I thought, wait a minute, I've got to go back and reread Hebrews chapter 11. He obtained a good testimony by faith, but here he falls into prostitution. This is an example of what I'm talking about, of wrestling with something in the Scripture and trying to find perhaps a greater or a deeper meaning or explanation. You could read also of Gideon, who after he routs these 30,000 Midianite raiders that have come right into the midst of their land, with 300 unarmed men, and then when they said, we want to make you our king, he said, there's no king but Jehovah. Let him be your king. Turned and took some of the spoils from the battle and made an article which became an idol, which he was even ensnared by in his later days. And he married many women and had many children by them. Gideon. We don't talk about that great act of faith, do we? Or you could read about Jephthah, this rogue outcast whom the people of Gad uh, or Gideon uh, called upon to come and fight their battles for him. And God raised him up for this occasion. And he did some great things, and I'm always impressed with before he went into battle, he used a, uh, some diplomacy. And he said, what charge do you people of Moab have against us? We have not taken your land. The Amorites have taken your land. We did not harm you when we came through your territory. And he rehearses the history of the Exodus route to come in. He knew it. He knew it. But then, as he prepares himself to go out to battle with the people who are bent on destroying Israel, he says, To the Lord may the battle go, and I will dedicate the first thing that comes out of my tent when I come home as a burnt sacrifice to the Lord. And he makes this, excuse me, stupid vow and puts himself in between a rock and a hard place, the rock being that God said, when you make a vow to the Lord, you better keep it. And the hard place being God saying, do not offer your sons and daughters in the fire to me, as these Canaanites do. That's why I'm driving them out of the land and giving you the land. For if you do this, I will surely drive you out of the land. And he keeps his vow. Now, the more I revisit that, the more I believe personally, and you can disagree with me if you want, that he should have went to the Lord and repented of that rash vow and asked for forgiveness. That's my opinion. But he offered his daughter to the Lord. Did the Lord accept a human sacrifice? Certainly not. But in the name of keeping his word, he did this. this unfortunate incident, and he's in Hebrews chapter 11. That's interesting to me. You could also read of uh, other acts from some of the others in the book, not the judges, like Abraham and, and the lies that he told early in his life. You could read about Sarah's lack of faith in God to uh, allow them to have children, though she be barren and older. And so she plots with her handmaiden to give her to Abraham, and he takes her and has a child by her. I mean, just shake your head at this stuff. 
and they're in Hebrews chapter 11. She laughed at God when he finally came to her at about the age of 90 and said, this time next year you'll have a son. She laughed. And God said, why did Sarah laugh, Abraham? And she said, I didn't laugh. And he said, you did laugh. It was a laugh of, I don't believe this is going to happen. She made Hebrews chapter 11, this great hall of faith. You could read about David and his adultery. You could read about Jacob's deception. You could read about Isaac's lie. You could read about Moses overreaching for glory and therefore not being able to come into the promised land. Do you get the point? We're talking about imperfect people here. But we're talking about great exploits of faith. And I've come to believe that Hebrews chapter 11 is not God's biographical sketches of, of people whose lives and all that they've encompassed we are to imitate. There is only one whom we are called to imitate. Yet in this chapter, he is saying, look at these courageous, valiant occasions that these people in their faith, at least at one time in their life, at least at one time in their life, they may have turned into idolaters or scoundrels, but at one time in their life, I want you to look at this really closely. When they were at the crossroad between following God's commandments for them, or as the proverb says, as Solomon said, leaning on their own understanding and their own feelings and their own thoughts and reasoning and their own desires, their own emotions, they went with God. They went with God. And God said, I want you to read and reread some of these great events. I don't believe he's pointing to the, the tremendous fall However, we will take away that lesson today, will we not? That these people of faith can fall. And they can fall greatly. And how great is their fall, as Jesus would have said. I don't think that we need to assign this to an oversight of the book of Hebrews. I just think we need to take a closer look at what faithfulness is. Is. I think these people's names are given because we're to focus on these points of their actions, of their character at the time, and to emulate those things just as, now think of this, just as we are to follow the faith of those leaders in the church, the Hebrew letter says two chapters later, of those elders who shepherd the flock, and we are to live our lives in such a way that they may shepherd us with joy, not running off looking for greener grass somewhere else, but happily following the lead into green pastures where the Word of God is preached, where we can learn and flourish and grow, where there's nothing hindering you from growing. And there is not anything hindering you from growing close to the Lord through the work that is being done with this body, nor through the body itself, because we are seeing here that the emphasis is not putting your faith in people. My faith is not reliant upon your errors, and your faith does not have to rely upon the preacher's 
whole life. Thank God, amen, for that. However, I can look at each one of you and extract from your character and absorb from your words singular acts of faith that can build my lifetime walk with God. And I hope, as I seek to do that, that yours is a lifetime walk with God and that we don't just notice about each other the only time that we've ever been faithful. You see, we're called to be faithful, not just to ride upon some great thing we have done. Maybe Gideon did that. Maybe Gideon did that. Maybe Moses was lifting himself up a little bit or having some weak moments when he struck the rock twice and said, must I bring water forth from this rock for you people and took the glory from God, put it upon himself. We just need to be careful about that. Yet, what God is looking for, I'm convinced, is a faithful relationship. We use that word a lot. It's the idea that there's give and take. God pours Himself out unto us, and we therefore, because of the great love with which He loved us, may turn and pour ourselves out, as Paul said, as a living sacrifice, as a drink offering to Him, poured out to Him, to give Him my all, to give Him my energy, to give Him my mind, heart, soul, my strength. That's a relationship. It's a blessing to be able to enjoy that with a spouse on this earth, but even your spouse cannot fulfill you in returning to you everything you need to be filled up. Only God can fill your soul with living water, from which if you drink, you'll never be thirsty again. The blessedness of a spouse, or let's say a mother or a father, is something that we can take in, but we'll continue to thirst for more. We'll continue to want more from them. We'll continue to demand things. And we'll continue to expect the day after that they walk in the same fashion day after day. And we'll be let down sooner or later. But with God, there is absolute faithfulness. He never lets us down. If the history born out from Genesis to Christ does not portray that to us, that even in times when the whole nation of His people whom He called His children departed from Him and would rather serve their enemies than God. He was faithful. He kept His promise. He kept it because He made a promise to Abram out of love for mankind. He made a promise to them that He would always maintain a remnant even though they were abused and oppressed and slaughtered by their enemies. I will bring a remnant back here because I also have made a promise concerning all those who will be born in the future, which includes you and me, from Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, to all the families of the earth. I've made a promise. I'm going to keep it. Okay, well, I became a Christian. What do I do if I sin? John said, God is faithful. You confess your sins to Him, and He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins through the blood of Christ, 1 John chapter 1. 
But He does call us to faithfulness in return. And this is this thing that He's looking closely at. Number one, are you wearing the name of Christ? Are you a Christian? That's the passport in. If you don't have that, Jesus said, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven if you do not come through Me. In the book of John chapter 3, chapter 14, you cannot enter in, John chapter 3, unless you're born again. You cannot enter in in any other way besides through Me. This is something that must be now. Perhaps you've taken care of that. Perhaps you haven't. Today is the day for you to do that. But are you faithful? Or are you, or are you an adulterous spouse in this marriage to Christ our Lord? Are you idolatrous in that you would rather pour out yourself to the things of this life? The things that God has blessed us with to enjoy, from the weather, to the flowers, to the people in your life today, to the pleasures of life, to the games, sports, and toys that all of us have at least one of. <laughs> He's given us all things to enjoy, but have you made those things your idol? To where it draws your heart with more passion and more zeal and more love than you would return to God? If my spouse did that toward me, I would notice, wouldn't you? I would notice if her, if her passion went toward another or something else. Pretty hard to hide. And I'm not God. And what God is saying, I want to see you turn back to me and I will, I will bring you into that state of innocence that Adam and Eve enjoyed for a time before sin in the garden where I walked among them. Enoch is mentioned. Enoch is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Early in the chapter, one of the first, as one who obtained a good testimony by faith, and God took him, one of those strange occurrences we all have questions about, you're going to have some questions when you get to heaven for God. That's probably one of them. Why did you take Enoch and Elijah? Just Why didn't you do that for me or for my mother who suffered or my father? You, why do we have to go through death? Couldn't you just take us at a certain time? I have all kinds of questions like that. I'll probably just be busy falling down at his feet. I don't think I'll rattle off all those questions. But Enoch walked with God, it says. He did what? He walked with God and his faith went down as a testimony. I think that is what the Hebrew writer is after as he's writing to Christians who are Jewish that converted to Christ, accepted their Messiah, the one they've been waiting on, but now they're being persecuted for their faith and they're thinking, okay, if we go back to Judaism, we can escape persecution because the Jews aren't being persecuted at this time. Christians are. What if we just say, yeah, our roots are in Judaism? The Hebrew writer here is saying, do not deny. Do not deny your faith in God. Don't you remember Enoch and how he walked with God? This is the walk that you're to walk with. You don't have the privilege to just deny him anytime you want and then jump back in any more than any of us could say, well, I think I'm going to take a weekend off from marriage to my wife 
and go do what I want, and then I'll come back on Monday and it'll all be fine. It's common sense, isn't it? <laughs> he says, no, that's, that's not how relationship works. That's not how a love relationship works, and that's not how we're going to be able to stand before God and have Him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, in all our sinfulness, He is able to reach however far away you have gone. His love can reach out and bring you back in, and He'll be looking for you to do that. You won't have to, to knock at the door and continue to knock and pound on the door for God to open His arms. You'll knock on the door and He'll open up and say, come and dine with me. You'll knock, you'll come down the lane as the prodigal son, and He will be watching for you to repair relationship, not just to be excused this one time so that you can run back out again and squander your life, but to repair relationship. A life of faith is what we're talking about here, and there's so many scriptures that are begging us to see this in the New Testament. Let me give you just a few from our reading. How can I overlook this again? He says, as Tanner read, do not cast away your confidence, your confidence that you are going to go home to be with. Do not cast it away, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And then in verse 39, he says, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, to, to draw back away from Christ and our relationship. I don't know Him, as Peter said three times that night. I don't know Him and do it to our own destruction. Peter repented. What about you? He says, rather, we're those who believe to the saving of the soul through the end. Also from Romans 11, verse 22, Therefore consider the goodness of God and the severity of God. Consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in His goodness. Hebrews chapter 3, back to Hebrews, uh, verses 12 through 14, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily. This is why we're together today and not just having family worship at home. Exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we've become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declared to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you're saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And then at the end of that chapter, closing the book down, he said, Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. James said in chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
Revelation 2.10, be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. One of the most chilling passages is from Matthew 24, right from the Lord's mouth, as was the passage from Revelation. One of the most bone-chilling passages concerning this, sobering. Verses 10 through 13 there in Matthew 24, he says, Then they'll deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. It's going to get real bad. I believe he may have been talking there about the time that they were in and some relief to come there. But he certainly moves on later in that chapter and makes it applicable to the end time as well. And we can see from these other passages, the message is the same. No matter how bad things may get around you, even if our American society right now is expelling Jesus from our culture, he who endures to the end will be saved. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. The Hebrew writer said, you haven't even endured the bloodshed yet, and you're thinking about bowing out, chapter 4. And I would say that's probably about where we're at. We see things changing. I don't like what I see for the, for the future of the country in regard to God, unless we're able to turn things around but I know one thing's for sure. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be lost. It doesn't have to mean that you're going to be lost. It doesn't have to mean that your children are going to be lost. What, what this means is we've got to learn what faithfulness is and realize we're not the first people that are ever going to experience suffering, temptation, or the trials of life that want to pull us away from God or cause us to think that He just doesn't care. He is faithful. He has said, I will always be there. Jesus said, I'll be with you to the end. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said, if you come back to me with your sin and you take ownership of it, I'm faithful, I'll forgive you that sin. I'll take you in. Harlots and tax collectors are going in before you Pharisees. Remember that? He had no problem taking in those who are repenting of sin. He's faithful. He'll keep His word. He'll bless all the families of the earth that come to Him for salvation. And it won't matter the cultural condition. It should not matter the circumstances of your life. It affects you, but it, it does not have to dictate your eternal life. It shouldn't matter what stage of life you're in. From our youth that we so often talk about and, and, and try to rescue to our older people who sometimes begin to suffer with a brand new uh, plethora of, of temptations and problems, loneliness, etc., etc. shouldn't matter what mood you're in today as to whether you serve the Lord. He said, be faithful. Faithfulness shows itself by one act of believing upon another, upon another, upon another, upon another. I think that's the greatest gift you can give to a mother, whether she's living or dead. To honor her work, to honor her name, 
whether she was a great mother or not, to honor her, to honor your father. I believe that's the greatest gift you can give to God. I think it's the greatest gift that you can give to a spouse, to a child, to a friend, to a neighbor, and to yourself. I think it's the greatest gift you can give to yourself is to learn faithfulness. You'll be rewarded for it. God will not overlook your reward. So if you are not a Christian, or you're not a faithful Christian, today we are here to help you, to endure to the end. We'll pray for you. We will baptize you into Christ to begin your walk today. If you're not a Christian, we will support you in whatever stage of life you're in. We're seeking to do that even today. Let's stand and sing this song.